0: you're a young nervous civilization about to send out its first deep space probe you want to make sure whoever finds it is going to want to be your friend and the best way to do that is to send a mixtape earth's mixtape is the podcast where we dive into the contents of the voyager golden record one song at a time one picture at a time one whale song at a time Welcome back to Earth's Mixtape. This is the podcast where we review the contents of the Voyager Golden Record. I'm Mike Dunlavy, and with me as always is...
1: Robbie Austin. And... Hannah Ehler.
0: This episode we'll be talking about tracks three and four of The Music of Earth, as well as photos five through 13 from the Golden Record Picture Archive. So let's begin. So we're going to start with track three of The Music of Earth. Track three is Chenukumen apologies for the pronunciation, uh, which is a percussive piece from Senegal, recorded by Charles Duvel in 1963, and it runs two minutes and eight seconds. My first response to this was, hey, this is awesome. Yes, I have in my notes, this piece rules. Mm-hmm.
2: I have to disagree with that.
0: What, 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 what's your problem, Hannah?
2: And it's, it's a good piece. It's sure. just, it's when listening it. to it, yeah. it kind of makes me stressed out
0: feels a little tense
2: it's feel, yeah it feels tense like uh, it's counting down or I should be doing something very fast and I'm not fast enough or I should be running away from something on the plus side it does kind of remind me of the Ewok song from Return of the Jedi I think that's a plus side
0: the celebratory song at the yeah, end yeah that's a good thing that's a good thing
2: but still kind of stressful
0: so I have in my notes that this was music played to accompany uh, people working in fields. Like it, it's a
2: oh, it's so a song
0: it
1: makes them keep. work faster, or just regu- more regularly. Just keep a regular beat. I would assume, but maybe it's work faster. There's a famous piece from the UK from the Second World War that they played very frequently, and it was actually written so that workers would be faster. The point is that this tradition of playing music to people while they work
0: to get them to work either uh, more steadily or faster is
1: still in use, no doubt. Very um, practical.
0: The instruments in the track include drums, bells, and three flutes.
1: Yeah, so on repeated listening, it was the three flutes that I decided I was less enthusiastic about.
0: But What, what, what was your problem with the flutes?
2: I just thought that, that the piece could have been more fun without them. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not a... I think without them it was just the same. The drums are the same and the... The bells. The bells are the same. The flutes were the only thing changing.
0: The flutes do add the only non-percussive element to it.
2: Non-repetitive.
0: Two against one.
1: <laughs> anyway, my, my opinion of it is, you know, irrelevant to its impact on the uh, alien life's forms that mm-hmm. receive it.
0: Yeah, and according to the notes for this in Murmurs of Earth, one of the reasons this piece was chosen was it was meant to represent the sort of basic rhythms of music that is pervasive across Africa. And there's theories that this kind of rhythm was introduced by a migratory people in the early lost days. I don't know how much backup there is for that, but it is a thing they noted.
1: It's it's certainly true that the earliest instruments are flutes and there's also rock gongs which seem to be also from the era of say 50,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Which are both very super cool things and wow.
0: So there's I discovered when doing some research on this track I discovered some controversy. And I think this is a controversy that we're going to address here and there as we continue through the golden record but Doing full research into the backgrounds of it is probably beyond our mandate here, but it 's a, it's a question of attribution in Ooh. that they are very good about labeling who recorded the piece oh yeah, mm-hmm. but not who the performers are yeah this becomes a bigger problem once in the '90s they started putting the golden record on CD for sale yeah mm-hmm. uh, up until then, there was the question of royalties for performers would never have been raised, but once you start selling it, it does.
1: Oh, well. Capitalism. <laughs> Having a point again.
0: <laughs> yes. And uh, so I found this article from a website called The Establishment, article written by Anthony Michael Marina in October 2016, who spent some time talking about this question of attribution on the golden record. Uh, in this piece in particular, he singles out, uh, and I'm quoting from the article here, quote, one track that had been labeled as Senegalese percussion actually came from the Mahai people who live in Benin, a country more than a thousand miles away from Senegal.
1: Okay, that's pretty shocking poor
0: form. It's shocking poor form, if true. I haven't gone back to research whether uh, Mr. Marina is correct, Mm. but these are the kind of questions that get raised when they don't include that information in the first place. I also wasn't able to find out much about Charles Duvel, who is credited as the person who recorded the music. Mm. So, like I said, I don't think have the abilities to research this to uh, full. We're not going to to full satisfaction.
1: We're not, unfortunately, tragically, tragically, we are not going to go to Benin and find out. Damn it! <laughs> I know. I, but if any listeners would like to sponsor the trip,
0: well, and if anyone listening uh, can fill us in on this, if anyone listening to this would like to talk to us about this on a future episode, please get in touch.
1: At... Yeah, did your grandpa play that flute?
0: You can reach us at earthsmixtape at gmail.com. We would love to listen to you. Uh, that's all I have for this piece in my notes. Uh, anyone else have anything to add?
2: Well, I was, well, going back to the stressful countdown sort of feeling that I get from it, just if the OSPs uh, start playing this record,
0: Well, no, No, it's interesting, because when we were talking about the first track, the Bach, the Brandenburg Concerto, they said they chose it because it started on a note of energetic optimism or something. Right. This piece could have conceivably have served a similar purpose. Optimism? Sure. Oh, that's Energetic, at least.
2: Maybe. I would think... I don't know if I opened up a record and started playing this, I would feel like it was a bomb I had to defuse or something because it's just so.
0: How much of your reaction to this is based on your playing of video games? Do you feel
2: that could have something to do with it? I feel
0: there's a slight <laughs> video game quality to it. The, yeah. The, the repetitive loop. Yeah. And the um, you feel like you should be doing something. I
2: feel like I should be yeah doing something fast or running away or I'm under pressure when I listen to this song.
0: Interesting. So, <laughs> so if, maybe if you were performing. Uh, work uh, a physical labor, and mm-hmm. somebody was playing this music. Would it encourage you to work? I harder, think it or? probably actually would. Or would it just give you a panic attack, and you would have to run away?
2: <laughs> Could go either way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it does seem effective at, at, at what it's meant for.
0: Okay, we're now going to move on to talking about pictures. Uh, We're going to start by talking about pictures five and six, titled in Murmurs of Earth as The Solar System. These are copyright Frank Drake. And Hannah, could you talk about what are in those pictures?
2: Right. So there are two pictures here meant to represent all the planets in the solar system. Along the top, they have circles representing each planet. Um, And there's one for the sun as well. So they're in their order of their uh, orbits from the sun. Um, so the top column we have, or sorry, top row, uh, we have the circles representing the planets, and then the consecutive rows we have um, parameters on information about those planets. So we have the diameter written in kilometers, followed by the distance from the sun, also in kilometers. Then there's the mass of the planet in um, written in mass of the Earth units. and. Finally, the rotational period of each planet um, and and the sun as well. So I think the first thing I notice about this is, so we're using the units that we previously established in the physical unit.
0: um, In the previous two pictures where they worked up the numbers and the units. Yes,
2: and we are now using those kilometers. Earth units is a new one, though, I think. I don't think that was previously established. And we have days. Um, So the first thing is... They only put the units on the first two, on the sun and the mercury, the first two um, objects of each slide they have the units for, and then they drop them because they got lazy or they didn't have enough space, yeah. but they, I think that was a very poor decision.
0: They pick it up again in the next picture for Jupiter, right. but yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, if you're going to do it, just do it. It's all not numbers like should it. have units. Yeah, and it doesn't yes. take up that much space. It's... Seems like poor form to me.
1: Yeah, I really think that you could have cut um, another 30 seconds. Uh, you could have faded 30 seconds earlier off our first piece this morning mm-hmm. and put in those units.
0: Well, they, they talk about how they split this up over two photos. Um, they put all this information on two photos because of the resolution available to them for the encoding of the information. If they tried to put it all on one picture, there wouldn't be enough resolution to make out the numbers. Mm. I would also like to point out that these rows of parameters, uh, diameter, distance from the sun, etc, are never defined. No, They never mm-hmm. say what these numbers represent. There's no pictorial information about what those numbers mean. yeah, there's just numbers. There's just numbers Go- going back to what you know all of us here, all of your hosts of this podcast have had experience teaching uh, university undergraduates uh, basic physics and how to report uh, their experiment information and one of the things we drill into them is always label your columns and always include units.
2: Neither of which they have done.
0: Neither of which they have done completely here, I I think.
1: I, I think this is just continuing with the original assumption, which we said that they probably made last time, that the Recipient of this message would be so incredibly brilliant that uh, they would be able to decode even the least decodable material that we were sending them. I think this was a fundamental error on their part, but that's coming from the point of view of somebody who spends her days trying to teach people things. I guess it's unfair to accuse Sagan of not spending his days trying to teach people things.
0: <laughs> but like
1: seriously, no, he let's, should let's have a, understood. Let's, let's
0: accuse Sagan. <laughs> let's hold Sagan let's hold Sagan to task here.
1: Well, there's a big difference between hosting television programs and giving people information that you want them to understand three years from now.
0: That's true. Mm. That's true. But you can always rewatch a television program. That's true, but
1: you couldn't in nineteen sixty whatever, when he started making television programs. Seventies,
0: so whatever. Okay, you couldn't. Possibly in... even eighty whatever for Cosmos. Cosmos might have been 1980-81. No. Yeah. You shock me. I could be wrong, and if I will. That turtleneck I... is a nineteen eighty one thing. Turtlenecks are eternal. The, the hairstyle was a nineteen eighty one thing. No physicist can be held responsible for their hairstyle. It was established early in the 20th century that any hairstyle was acceptable for a physicist. This is...
1: It was established... It was established early in the 20th century that any hairstyle was acceptable for a male physicist, dude.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right.
2: Cosmos was indeed 1980. Oh, thank you.
0: And also, wow. So uh, another fun fact about this photo is they show Saturn and Uranus with rings, kind of, sort of, by putting a horizontal line through the planet. And they very proudly point out that uh, they are showing the rings of Uranus, which hadn't been discovered when they sent out the Pioneer plaque, and on their uh, description of the solar system, there's no ring. Wow. So if anyone finds Pioneer and Voyager, they can see how much progress we've made in just a few short years.
1: Do we need to send a new one without Pluto?
0: Yeah. Oh, right. The OSPs are going to be like, oh, they think that's a planet? That's ridiculous.
1: Maybe they'll just uh, be looking at it saying, well, why don't they include all of the asteroids?
2: Where's the Kuiper
0: Belt? Mm. They probably would just assume that it was... uh, Well, the asteroid belt would be missing between the two. uh...
2: Mm. It also kind of bothers me how... I mean, there's. I don't see a better way to do it, but they have the diameters of the circles representing each of the planet varying. Um, so, like, the sun has the biggest diameter, Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars are all about the same, and then Jupiter is bigger. Um, but they're not actually to scale. They're not to scale. There's There'd no be... way you could have it to scale with the sun there, but yeah. still it seems like it would... It's confusing. Be, yeah, it's yeah, a little deceptive, because the Ju- Jupiter's almost as big as the sun. So if you're going to do different... We're gonna do them different sizes, do it to scale, but I don't know. I don't know if you could do it a
0: better way. It just kind of irks me. Okay, so all in all, I would say we're not fans of pictures five and six.
1: No. All in all, I would say that I'm not fans of the pictures that have uh, numbers on them. Mm -hmm. I think I think the
2: numerical information. um, Also, these fractions aren't even as reduced as they can be. So but
0: six over ten. The, the mass over of 10.
2: Venus is eighty two over one hundred earth masses.
0: But they're all over factors of ten.
2: Except for one nineteenth earth masses.
0: Oh, so so there it is. <laughs> 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 okay, I got nothing. I tried. Yeah. These pictures are terrible.
1: They're not terrible. They're just Incomplete. Uh, yeah, they're they're Flown A incomplete information. And B they're presenting information that I would have said was Valuable if it were complete. It's like the point I was trying to make about Bach last time. Like, what makes this stuff interesting? What makes 26,000 kilometers interesting is that it's in kilometers,
0: right? Right. But they do define the, they define the kilometer on the previous. Yeah, but
1: they don't tell you that it's 26,000
0: kilometers in the third column. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: It's just, they're just chanting numbers, like incantations at that point.
0: And assuming the OSPs will read things cartesianally.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. What if they read right to left?
0: Well, that would still be okay.
2: Well, there's no units, and then suddenly kilometers
0: pop ah, up. Ah, interesting, yeah. All right. Pictures five and six, TTH scale. Oh, yeah, go for it. Probably like a three or four. its its It's just furthering the information about where we are. It's giving them more inf- more information to locate us.
2: If they can decipher this,
0: if they can decipher it, we could, we should should I lower it one for being so obtuse with its detail?
2: <laughs> that it might just confuse them more than if they hadn't had it.
0: Yeah, we're now going to move on to the next two pictures. Picture seven and eight. Picture seven is titled "The Sun." Copyright Hale Observatories. Hannah, what's in picture seven?
2: So there are four images in picture seven of the sun. Three of them are the entire sun, seen in different um, different filters, and the fourth one is, I believe, a close-up of the surface of the sun. I'm not sure what filter that's in. Not sure what filter any of these are in. But I, they're in different filters.
0: I will admit, I tried to do a bit of research. I read as much as I could, trying to figure out what filters they used for these photos, and I was unable to find an answer.
2: first one's probably optical. Um, it's the most boring, mm-hmm. so you can't see much. Could be ultraviolet, x-ray. H-alpha. H-alpha is a popular one. They all kind of look pretty bland, so I'm not sure how useful that is under this resolution. I approve
1: of giving lots of different filter because there is some reasonable chance that other life sees in not the optical, right?
0: It's,
2: but, but in order for them to, to look at the Exactly, pictures. this is the thing that yeah. drives me crazy. Yeah. The pictures are
0: optical. But that doesn't mean they can't encode the pictures. I mean, the pictures aren't optical. The pictures are... Digital. ...are information on a record. So they could encode it to whatever visualization ability they have.
2: But the the picture between these three images of the sun isn't going to change much because it's already encoded as how it looks now. You're not going to get new information whether you look at it in a different filter.
0: Right. And certainly I would say the resolution of these photos doesn't allow you to really see anything from the different filters. Well, picture eight is titled The Solar Spectrum, and it was a photo taken Expressly for the record, by Valentin Boryakov and Dan Mittler, um, because two people, I... two two people. I assume one to do the photography and one to set up the uh, experiment. To, to um, but they had to take it explicitly because they couldn't find an existing picture in the Cornell Library to fully to satisfactorily show what the solar spectrum is. So, Hannah, do you want to talk about that photo?
2: Um, well, you have three colors, blue, green, and red, in a band, uh, horizontally. And there are some lines through it, but they are hard to make out because it's poor resolution.
1: So, but also, the, is there an, a scale
2: on it anywhere? No, there is nothing. It is just there a is band no of colors enough. with some lines.
0: And the lines are meant to show the absorption lines of the the sun's light.
1: Hopefully they genuinely do. Hopefully they didn't just put a black thing across (laughs) it.
0: (laughs) So an interesting thing about this picture is it's the first one to be in color on the record. So they did this by putting the information on three times, one for red, one for blue, one for green, uh, with the hopes that the OSPs would see these three similar images and realize that they need to be put together. It might be first assumed that they included this to give us inf- to give the OSPs information about the sun. But the reality seems to be that they made the assumption that the OSPs would recognize our sun is a G2 star. Can you confirm that, Hannah?
2: That is what our star is. I can't confirm if they recognize it okay, or not. Sure.
0: <laughs> and so that the OSPs would know what a G2 star was and therefore would know what that spectrum was. And therefore they could use that to calibrate the red, blue, green reconstruction of color photos. Uh, going on in the series.
2: That's not a terrible idea. I agree. Hooray for not terrible ideas. The the image of the sun in different filters was not in
0: color. That's right. So it was just black and white. They sent that in black and white. Here's
2: some slightly different fuzzy circles.
0: And that makes sense for filtered photos, which are meant to be a a very restricted wavelength.
1: True. Anyway. But you kind of want to give information about which wavelength
0: you're showing.
1: It, g- generally, if you're trying to actually convey information,
0: absolutely, and it might be nice to have at least, assuming one of those pictures of the sun is in the optical range, why not put that in color, so that they yeah, exactly. that would give them more information about what this sun is. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, but
1: maybe they're looking for a planet with three suns. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say.
0: Oh, okay. So because we'll, they don't we'll even really that separate that when the these.
2: They don't even separate them. Nice. Or they don't even, like, mark on it. Like in the previous ones where they have the diameter, they don't even mark the diameter to show, oh, hey, this is this object.
0: This is the sun. This could be that uh, circle with the line through it.
1: We live on the one that's all fire. (laughs) Don't come to us.
0: We're (laughs) tough. That would be a good TTH number. Okay, so... Pictures of the sun, we're not entirely sold that those pictures of the sun are incredibly useful. But we do like the solar spectrum as a calibration.
2: Just more context would have been nice, I think.
0: Yeah. And I think it it would have been better if that first picture of the sun was in color. Yeah. Um, And then they could have reconstructed that color from the spectrum.
2: So what's your threat to humanity scale for these?
0: Uh, Probably low, probably about another two or three Fair I should enough. start keeping track of all these so I can...
1: Oh, average it out over time.
0: Well, so I can decide that, you know, oh, I gave that one a four. This one is clearly more of a threat. Yeah. Uh, and maybe we'll keep track of that on the website. The next set of photos we're going to talk about are pictures uh, 9, 10, and 11, which are photos of Mercury, Mars, and Jupiter. Uh, copyright NASA. You want to walk us through it, Hannah? So the
2: first picture of Mercury is a close-up of the surface where you just see a bunch of craters on a sloped object. No context given to what planet it is relative to the calibration things we just saw. Um, So again...
0: Yeah, why not include just one number from the list of the solar system? Like, I looked at that photo and thought it was the moon.
2: Yeah, I can see how you would think that. The next two pictures, though, do have some numbers for context. So the next one is Mars, which is, uh, you can see a hemisphere with some dots on it, some what's the features. features. Features, that's the word, thank you. <laughs> um, and they do put the radius and the mass, I think.
0: Uh, yes, the, the, e, the e is the mass of the Earth.
2: Okay, hold on, hold the phone. So this is Mars. They say in this image that it's one tenth the mass of the Earth. In the previous picture, where they had the table, mass was eleven out of one hundred Earth masses. Well, that
0: is more accurate, probably. Oh, for crying out loud! But it doesn't correspond. So this is they
2: hilarious. can't <laughs> even match them up. Oh, oh, don't worry. The diameter is not the same either. <laughs> what? Sixty-seven, eighty-seven kilometers in the image, and it's, on the table, it's sixty-eight
0: hundred. They rounded it. That's bollocks. Whoa.
2: How are they supposed to put these together? Again, as a teacher,
1: or, you know, as somebody who tries to teach people things, let's not glorify what I do because maybe I'm not a teacher, but anyway, as somebody who tries to teach people things.
0: And who is paid to teach people
1: And, and yeah, who is occasionally paid to teach people things. Uh, I cannot begin to say explaining the motivation for rounding is hard enough. Like, and then there are rules around rounding. People who have young children know that it is a hard thing to learn. Not, it's just not an automatic.
2: Anyway, uh, please continue, Hannah. Tell us more. Let's
0: move on to the next one, Hannah. Oh,
2: Don't tell me this one's different too. So next we have Jupiter, which also has a diameter and mass indicated. And let's see how there's those good matter. news about
0: the mass, Hannah.
2: <gasps> the mass matches up.
0: Bad news about the diameter, Hannah.
2: Good. God. So, yeah, it's not the same. And it's written in scientific notation on the table, so 142 times 10 is 3 kilometers. And on the picture, it's 142,800 kilometers. So. Problematic. Yes, indeed. But
1: as three pictures of planets, just without encoding, because, oh my God, I'm so distracted by it. But anyway, just as three pictures, I was thinking, like, this point about the A Mercury looking like the Moon, Mm -hmm. or whatever. It is at least obviously a solid thing.
0: It is obviously a solid thing, and it's obviously. I would say, you could argue, it's obviously a celestial body. Like it's it's a crater. It's a non. It's a celestial body without that's solid. It doesn't have enough atmosphere to stop um, meteorites from hitting. Um, So there is there is good information there.
1: And frankly, if an alien sent us a picture. The current humanity uh, picture like that would be all like, hey, I wonder if there's any diamonds there
0: or, you know, (laughs) coal.
2: So they're going to come and start mining
0: mercury. So, well, I don't know, but I'd, so you're saying we're tempting the OSPs with these photos?
2: Look at all our resources. Our resources. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know that. You don't they're not looking at the
1: gases on Jupiter and saying, "Oh, that looks edible."
0: So That's some, where I showed up. some background on the on the how the photos were taken. Um, mercury was taken by the Mariner 10 probe. Mars was taken by the Viking probe, and I, I think. Is very low resolution. We can do better with Mars these days, OSPs. Oh, by a long shot. And Jupiter is actually encoded in color, and it's a photo taken by the Pioneer 11 probe. I'm under the impression that we can do a lot better on Jupiter, too, these I days. Think we can. I oh, think yeah. Voyager probably took better pictures of Jupiter.
1: Uh, telling. but So do those sit on Voyager as well?
0: Does Voyager have onboard uh, memory? Ooh. Or does it
1: just send it home?
0: I bet it just sent it home. I bet... To- they, they couldn't store not, like, they couldn't have, like, a megabyte drive on there. Mm. They, that wouldn't have existed in 77. That would fit on a, on a probe, I would assume. Wow. Because otherwise they would have just sent a hard drive. They wouldn't have sent a record.
1: Well, they certainly wouldn't have worried about uh, putting the units on all of their numbers.
0: <laughs> so I got, I got two more fun facts about these photos. One is it was an astronomer, A.G.W. Cameron, who suggested putting in pictures of other planets and uh, he's a Canadian. We're all Canadians here, so just thought I'd mention the Canadian. <laughs> and according to Murmurs of Earth, these pictures were meant to show that we are, quote, a space-faring people.
2: Uh. <laughs> Doesn't that mean you go into space?
0: Well, we had been to the moon by this point. And in okay. 77, there was no reason to assume that we wouldn't continue going into space. Right. Whoa,
1: whoa, In 77, we had stopped going to the moon.
0: We had stopped going the moon, but we were just starting the space shuttle, like going into space was still a very much a going concern of NASA. I'd like to point out that although we are all human adults,
1: fully grown, lovely people around this table, none of us were alive when somebody walked on the moon. You hear. Like the moon landings when are... When was the last moon landing? 1972.
0: The moon landings are historical. You're getting a lot of valuable information about your hosts here today. Listeners. <laughs> oh no! fully grown humans (laughs) born after 1972
1: threat to to podcast host level (laughs) you
0: don't need biographies on the website
2: you can get it all here
0: Uh, anything else we want to say about these three
2: I am disappointed
0: (laughs) once again Hannah is disappointed the last two photos we're going to talk about pictures 12 and 13 picture 12 is simply titled Earth copyright NASA
2: and guess what it's a
1: picture of Earth and it's in color well, the color of Earth is important, it so is.
0: Uh, I will grudgingly. So, Hannah, how does, the, how does that diameter and mass match? So,
2: well, 1E e for the mass, and on the table they have one, so they're, at least they have the units here. That and let's see the kilometers. Looks they like, are not the same. Looks
0: like we got some rounding but, problems again. Damn it. We're going to be bleeping a lot of your. Uh, you're, <laughs> you're, uh, you're taking this really personally.
2: <laughs> Like it it would just be so much easier for someone to look at something and match it to another number. Like small children can do that. That's how they learn. Like you match things up, puzzles. That's <laughs> how triangle, I started. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a very basic thing that is is reasonable to assume other things can do. So yeah. I think, you know, it, that's a good starting point. Hey, match these two numbers up. They're the same. Yeah, th- this is But no, uh, we can't make the numbers well, no, the same. We can't
0: and I'm going to I'm going to cut them at Tiny bit of slack, and the tiny bit of slack I'm going to cut them is uh, the as we discussed in the episode zero, they were under severe time constraints to put all this together. I don't. Look, it's you, so <laughs> listeners, Hannah just gave me to look like she's not buying this for an instant.
2: It takes just as much time to write out a hundred twelve thousand seven hundred fifty six as it takes to write twelve thousand. But perhaps not time to look
0: up what Drake was doing on his table and.
1: Yeah, yeah, because talking to each other would have been a no,
0: terrible there mistake. there were no phones
2: in 1970s. Okay, but
0: seriously, long-distance charges in the 70s were <sighs> astronomical, pun intended.
2: Huh, huh, huh. Still doesn't... I'm
0: still. not appreciated, however.
1: <laughs> There's one more picture, I think.
0: Oh, yes. Picture 13 is titled Egypt, the Red Sea, the Sinai Peninsula, and the Nile with the composition of Earth's atmosphere. Copyright NASA, and this is another color photo showing basically... Uh, that title
2: a zoomed in picture of looking down on earth from space from space yes um, and there are chemical compositions written as n2 o2 h2 oCO2 and an 18 with a circle around it, uh, followed by fractions so I'm assuming this is showing the composition of our atmosphere
0: the relative composition of the gases in the atmosphere and the um, while they don't define those symbols as meaning atoms on this photo, they do in the preceding one. That we'll oh, okay. talk about in the next episode. Okay. So they use they signify argon with eighteen with a very solid uh, black circle around it, uh, meaning that that is the. It's a noble gas. It's and a noble it's gas got with eighteen. 80, with eighteen, yeah. Protons, um, but that nomenclature is established in the next photo.
2: Okay. Maybe not total oh, trash, then.
1: I can't wait to see how it's established. But anyway.
0: <laughs> There's pictures involved.
1: I wonder how long the Red Sea is going to exist. Ooh, just Just an idle piece of curiosity. If this you, you probe know? ever reaches uh, uh, another intelligence who decides to visit, and they come with their pictures, and they're like, I want to see myself, oh, it's gone.
0: Well, I mean, we're talking about a, a process that's going to take thousands and tens of hundreds of thousands of years. There's,
1: I don't know. Look at various. the air. If they'd chosen the Aral Sea, we'd
0: be, uh, we'd be done for. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think they'll be mad if the Red Sea's gone? <laughs> Just confused. But that's okay.
1: If they come, they have come ready to handle confusion anyway.
0: <laughs> Interesting. All these photos of the planets, photos 9 through 13, uh, were chosen by Carl Sagan. So there are all you Sagan fans out there. Um, these are his personal choices.
1: I'm contemplating all of Mike Sagan bashing earlier in the episode, but
0: I'm trying to get back on the the side of the Sagan fans, so they yeah, don't, that's uh, good. They that's good.
1: <laughs> we certainly don't want the Sagan fans to kill us. No, those... what we want is for them to come on and defend him vociferously.
0: Yeah, if you're a if you're a <laughs> Sagan fan, a a a, a SAG head,
2: uh, they call themselves
0: that? SAGI bottom boys. Oh
2: um, God,
0: I assume they had they had a name, turtleneck. jobbers. This is all going to get edited. It's
1: fine. (laughs) Oh, that's too bad because I would probably... Pay actual cash money to see a bunch of dudes in white turtlenecks and uh, sorry black turtlenecks and white jackets with Sagan wigs singing uh, bluegrass.
0: Oh, singing Man of Constant
1: Sorrow. Yeah, as the sagy Bottom
0: Boys. <laughs> I would. All right, not editing it out. <laughs> I would really like to see that. <laughs> okay. Internet make it so. <laughs> We've been chatting about photos for quite some time, which is fine because we
1: because there's stuff that's gonna get edited is- out.
0: But let's now move on to the next musical piece. And the next musical piece we're going to discuss is track number four, titled Pygmy Girls' Initiation Song, recorded by Colin Turnbull in 1961 and runs 56 seconds. So some background on Turnbull. He was an anthropologist who lived with... Uh, the Mubuti people for six years. And Mubuti seems to be the, a better name for this uh, tribe than the Pygmies. This particular tribe lived in the Ituri rainforest in a country then called Zaire, now the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And Turnbull was considered one of the first anthropologists to seriously work with music, the music that the tribes would sing and make. And in fact, he released a whole album called Music of the Rainforest Pygmies.
1: I'm going to look that up.
0: Yeah, and I think this track is from that album. Hmm. Again, question of attribution. Uh, we don't know the names of the performers. But we know more about them than we knew
1: about the previous one, it feels.
0: Yeah, I agree. So, so some other facts about the Mubuti. It's there's. It's been theorized that they've been in this region, the Aturi Rainforest Region, six, the, since the 25th century B.C.,
2: Holy smokes!
0: There are references in Egyptian writing that uh, people strongly feel are referring to them. To answer a question people may have, uh, they are on average less than one point five meters tall. It's about hey, that's
2: feet. me! <laughs> Whoa! Oh, that's why they're called pygmy. Ah! Oh.
0: It's probably not considered a,
2: a proper a great name. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And here's a fun game their kids play. Oh God! They take a, a, a sapling tree, like mm-hmm. a thin, bendy tree, and they all jump on at the same time and bend it down. And then they play the uh, everybody has to let go at the same time game.
1: And if you're the last one, you get slapped.
0: And if, if if you if you if you aren't as on the ball as your friends, yes, you get launched into the air.
2: Oh man! This sounds
0: amazing. I want to play this yeah. game, but I'm probably too big and fat. <laughs> Okay, so about this song in particular, this song, again, titled on the record as Pygmy Girls' Initiation Song, this is from an or the Girls' Puberty Initiation Rite. Mm, launching monarchy just right. Uh, would you care to elaborate on that? Well, no, but
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, there are some cultures in which uh, monarchy, which is the onset of periods, um, or menstruation, is celebrated, and there are some in which it's not. And uh, the ones in which it's celebrated are often a little bit friendlier to the lady types than the ones in which it is not celebrated. It's not a universally... I wouldn't have said that that was like a, a perfect Venn diagram. You know, like the ones in which uh, menstruation is considered filth are often
0: not as nice to the lady types as
1: the ones that are like, Yay! You can have babies now! Which is, you know,
0: Would you maybe know, like- not... Would you know, like, some background about the Mabuti? Um, Oh no! This is this is by Turnbull, the anthropologist who lived with them for six years. And these, this is information taken from *Murmurs of Earth*. Um, Quoting here: "Quote for the Pygmies, it's a time of enormous joy when a young girl gets her first menstrual period. It's announced to the whole world. Her family is congratulated because now she can be a mother, and what greater joy for a girl." At the same time, they recognize the increased responsibility because among the Mabudi, no child may be born out of wedlock. In 50 years of fieldwork, anthropologists have found no documented case of any child being born out of wedlock there. So when a girl first menstruates, she will sometimes wait for a friend to also have her first period, and then the two of them invite their friends, both older and younger, to join them in an Alima house where they live for a month. <laughs> continuing on quote during this time boys who come to court them may enter the Alima house and sleep with the girls of their choice but only with the approval of both the girls and their mothers the mothers guard the house and prevent any undesirable youths from entering they will give any such youth a good fight once inside a youth may sleep with one or a number of girls by mutual agreement it is considered a time of experimentation with long range marriage in view and eventually they're paired into uh, wedlock
1: other cultures do things differently. Absolutely. You learned it here, not first. I hope.
0: And and he says the Alina is one of the most joyous festivals in the Mbuti culture because it concerns itself with life and with the responsibilities of parenthood.
1: I I don't know like what you, I, I got nothing. Other cultures are allowed to do their boy girl stuff in other ways, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, boy girl stuff. <laughs> that, that is what this song is, is, eventually leads to. It's it's an initiation. It's a come hither. Oh, No, it's not really. It's not really. It, it's not. It's, it's, a it's a celebration. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's, uh, I, this is me putting my North American sexualization of young girls' culturalization onto another culture, and that's entirely incorrect. This is a celebration uh-huh. of the, the miracle that lady types can make other human beings inside them after a few years of practicing being a
0: lady type. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to that in the photos in future episodes. <laughs> oh, <no. clears throat> um, so I have some other facts about the musical traditions of the Mabuti. They often will sing rounds, displaying close harmony, and sing polyphonically. Do you know what that means?
1: Uh, it just means that there are many voices singing different um, melodic lines,
0: so okay. that they're not all
1: m- marching, you know, moving their notes up and down together.
0: So that, the that, that ties into the, the fact that they're singing, singing rounds. rounds. Yeah.
1: I would like to say that the that kind of music where you have an, a long, rolling series, lots of notes, lots of sort of complicated motion within the song and also, well in this case it's celebrating young girls so that's probably one of the reasons why there were a lot of very high notes, but it's if you're listening to music from around the world, it's good to think about the context that it's in and here what we're we're looking for is something that will sound good in a forest in a thickly oh, interesting. uh thickly I mean lots and lots of vegetation around. Lots and lots of absorbing material. Like in a rainforest. Like in a rainforest. And so that's music that will carry. It's music that will hold its own in among a lot of uh, animal sounds, if that's also happening in the background. Unlike that, the drumming that we heard at the beginning, which is better fitted to a field.
0: Very interesting. Yeah. Um, so I have one other uh, thing. Another, so I think the piece included on the record, the initiation song, falls within that. It kind of sounds like a round. You hear people singing different lines. But you uh,
1: hear the, the, the same yeah. melodic motif coming up a couple of seconds later yeah. from a different voice, yeah.
0: But there's mm-hmm. another type of song they sing where, in the performance of it, they assign each singer a note. And so as you go from note to note, you go from singer to singer, and it's sung together in that way.
2: Wasn't there an internet cat video like that or something?
0: I would hate to make that comparison, but possibly. <laughs>
1: oh, well, okay, crazy. so uh, the amazing Mumford and
0: also... And his Muppaphone. And,
1: and his Muppaphone. Uh-huh. And, and there's a great Muppaphone orchestra. And also, I don't know if any of you did the George Washington Bridge song when you were kids, but or my hat, it has three corners. But anyway, primitive uh, North American songs <laughs> can accomplish this, which is also fun.
0: Yeah yeah it seems like a fun thing to do yeah. and and require a lot of organization because yeah. I would try to just sing all <laughs> and have a hard time keeping track of what my note is.
2: Thanks for listening to Earth's Mixtape. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode.
0: Please rate and review us on iTunes, and maybe we will read your name on a future episode. Reviews will help people find out about the podcast, and maybe tell your friends about us. This week, we'd like to thank Maki Shard and Glorbus McDobson, who left us nice reviews on iTunes. Also, thanks to Tiffany F. and Astro Canada Magus, who are among the many people who tweeted about the show.
1: Did we make a mistake or an omission? Heck yeah, we did. Let us know all about it on twitter and
2: instagram we're at earths mixtape or email us at earths at gmail.com earth's mixtape is produced at saint mary's university in beautiful halifax nova scotia canada